Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum and this is episode 24. Today, I'm really excited to be introducing another guest on the podcast. I'm talking to Louise Thompson. Louise is a museums and wellbeing consultant, as well as the health and wellbeing manager at Manchester Art Gallery. Today, we are talking all about how you can use art and objects to learn wellbeing skills and improve mental health. But before we start, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by treating me to a lovely cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire I'll put a link in the show notes and the show notes, they're available as always on my website, thinkingmuseum.com forward slash podcast. And this is episode 24. So now let's get on with today's show. So let me introduce my guest today. Louise Thompson works with cultural organisations to develop and deliver wellbeing workshops, projects and exhibitions. She has over 12 years of experience with arts and health practice and she's been working at the, as a health and wellbeing manager at Manchester Art Gallery for the last nine years too. She is hugely passionate about using culture and creativity to improve people's well-being. Now, in this chat, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about Louise's work and some of the projects she's worked on recently, the amazing Becoming a Mum Art Therapy project, which was for new mothers during lockdown. We also talk about the Mindful Museum at Manchester Art Gallery, which uses mindfulness as a technique to engage with artworks and also to create more engagement with artworks. We talk about how attitudes to mental health have changed over the past few years and how museums, art and objects are perfectly placed to play a role in improving well-being and mental health. We also talk about how artworks can create a sense of community and how art and cultural collections can make us feel less alone and more connected. We also discuss mindfulness and the particular type of mindfulness that informs Louise's work, trauma-sensitive mindfulness. So Louise shares so much in our chat and we could have talked for a lot longer. Make sure you listen to the whole episode to catch it all. So now let's get started with our chat. So, hi, Louise. Welcome to the Art Engager podcast. Hi, Claire. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So, can you tell us where in the world you are right now, where you're you're recording this from? Yeah, I am in Manchester in England, and I'm currently at home in my back office, but I'm in the wonderful city of Manchester. Lovely. Um, And the sun is shining as well, which is great. It is. It is. Lovely to hear. So um, we're going to talk a little bit today about the work that you do and how you came to be doing what you're doing and the sorts of groups you work with. Um, So perhaps you could start by telling me a little bit about yourself and sort of how you came to be doing what you're doing now. 
Yeah. Um, so I am a museums and well-being consultant, and I work with um, museums and galleries, supporting them to develop and deliver uh, health and well-being programs. So that could be workshops, projects, events, um, exhibitions, or displays. And uh, I work across the UK, and I also. Uh, I also am the health and well-being manager at Manchester Art Gallery. Manchester Art Gallery is the city's art gallery here uh, in Manchester. And I've been doing that role for over, uh, around about 13 years, actually. Gosh, that's a, an awful long time. So I've got two two roles, health and well-being manager at Manchester Art Gallery, which I love. And also as a, I work as a consultant working with other museums and galleries. Wow, it sounds like you're busy. Have yeah. you found you've been very busy in the last year or so? Yes, I think that a lot of museums and galleries and cultural institutions have realised that, you know, post-COVID in this recovery stage um, from the pandemic, that there's going to be a lot of focus on well-being and mental health. So, yeah, I have uh, got a lot busier <laughs> in the last year, two months than before. I was already quite busy before then, but yes, I've had lots of inquiries. Um, I think museums and galleries are, are starting to realise their potential in in responding to, to something like a health crisis. So that's really, really good and really exciting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think over the last 10 years that I've sort of been working in um, a similar field to you, not exactly the same, but I've noticed a real sea change. And what used to be something that was quite uh, sort of left field research is now becoming much more mainstream. The fact that we can, you know, use the collections, the art, the objects in museums to actually, you know, foster well-being, foster skills, all these sorts of things that I've been talking about for a very long time, I think have come into sharper focus perhaps in the last year. Definitely. And I, I think just in the last decade as well, Claire, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that is reflective of our attitudes towards mental health as well. I think conversations have been happening around mental health a lot more even in the last five years than they ever have been before. There was loads of stigma attached to mental health and and well-being. And now that's because that's reduced and the conversations are opening up, it's a much less taboo subject to talk about. I think that has had a sort of ripple effect. And now we see cultural institutions thinking and uh, and showing that they can be part of that conversation as well. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And thankfully, that conversation is now sort of more out in the open and much more, you know, acceptable for more people to be talking about mental health issues as well than it was before. So Absolutely. perhaps you could share with me some examples of some uh, of the projects you've worked on perhaps recently or in the last few years. Yeah, so um, one project that I've managed, which is part of my health and well-being manager role at, at the Art Gallery, was a project called Becoming a Mum. And that was a, a an eight-week uh, project working with um, women who had became mothers in lockdown. And it was an art therapy project. So working with an art therapist called Sarah Harrison Greaves, it, um, situated here in Manchester. And really, where the idea where that came from was when we went into lockdown, I was almost 
haunted by the thought of women um, becoming, you know, bringing home the baby from the hospital and just being in complete isolation and not knowing when that isolation was going to end. Um, you know, there were reports about women giving birth uh, alone without their partner, which, you know, just sounded inhumane to me. But, yeah. you know, even just bringing home the baby uh, and not having the family around you, friends around you, neighbours, you know, all that social network and that social connection, which is so important for women's mental health, uh, especially maternal mental health. And so at the gallery, I thought, we've got to do something about this. So we um, we delivered an eight-week art therapy course. It was on Zoom. Uh, it was online, which is something we had never done before. And we, you know, thought about every and all potential risk that could happen. Um, but we were really glad the fact that it was a hugely successful project. Um, the women w- went on to meet each other after lockdown lifted so they they met up independently and formed their own social support network and um what we what we actually did in the sessions was we we chose artworks from the gallery's collection that related to themes around motherhood and um it was very much focused on this how women and well everyone really that we're 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 fed this narrative around motherhood through culture, through media, you know, through through the stories our, our older maternal figures tell us and the stories that they hold back from us, especially our own mothers, perhaps. And we, and we sort of have this narrative around motherhood being this joyous, um, you know, uh, love-filled, idealistic time. And actually, the truth and realities of motherhood can be very far from those things. I mean, there's joy, there's excitement, but there can also be a lot of challenging emotions, you know, um, uh, sadness, sorrow, grief, rage, anger. And and these are the stories that we don't generally, you know, talk about openly because motherhood is supposed to be this beautiful, pure, joyful time. So we looked at artworks within the collection that linked to some of those themes like grief and transition and you know self-acceptance and and self-compassion and um, we explored the artworks we talked about them and the the concepts behind them and then the art therapist asked each of the participants each each of the mums to to make an artwork um, of their own you know, their own choice. It could be a totally open brief, but that was connected to those themes. And then at the end, um, each person talked about their artwork and talked about their feelings and emotions that, you know, linked to that artwork. And um, it was it was such a great project to do, Claire, and I'm really glad that we were able to do it and reach, reach women because it was it, all the stories that we got from the mothers you know what they told us was it was the most isolating time the the loneliest time they've ever felt Um, and just being you know there was a lot of grief that was talked about being robbed of that experience that they expected to have and you know 
oh, so many emotions. I mean, there's so many emotions yeah. anyway when it comes to be becoming a mum. But at during COVID and during lockdown, it was it was very heightened and intense. But um, we got great outcomes from that project, and we we used different well-being measuring skills. And uh, we were really pleased to see a huge improvement in the women's well-being at the end. It sounds wonderful. And I'm just looking at some of the artworks on the uh, page. I'll put a link mm-hmm. in the show notes. But some of the artworks that you used from your collection um, are wonderful sparks to conversation, I imagine. And another thing yeah. that I noted as well is that you put on it, you don't need to be good at art to take part. And did you find yeah. there was some resistance perhaps from some of the women who were joining joining the sessions or maybe a little bit of uh, fearfulness about you know perhaps not knowing anything about art or yeah I think that in particular yeah and that is something that comes up actually a lot in my in my line of work um, is that that nervousness around you know being good at art so it is something I regularly say when promoting an event or a project you know this is not about being good at art none of us are Picasso and that's not the focus anyway it's all about the process and you know enjoying the experience and being in the moment but yeah a lot of women you know when we did that first initial assessment spoke about you know I haven't done any arts in school and I wasn't very good at it back then and but we just had to reassure them that you know that wasn't that wasn't a factor that wasn't important and that seemed to do the trick. Oh, that's brilliant. And and art can sort of create that sense of community as well. When you're together discussing an artwork and then discussing your feelings about the artwork, that sort of sense of being as one, as a group discovering things is such a magical feeling as well. I can fully see why they went off and sort of met up in real life afterwards after they'd had these experiences with art. Definitely. And, you know, it's there's something so special I don't know if you've discovered this in your work as well Claire but there's something so special about seeing an experience or a state or an emotion depicted in an artwork that might have been created 200 years ago or you know 500 years ago or 60 years ago seeing that depicted and thinking to yourself I'm not alone in feeling this way you know someone else has felt this way someone else 200 years ago has captured this feeling this state that I'm in and even just connecting to the to the artwork itself as well as the people who you're sharing that experience with of looking at it exploring it discussing it you know even the object itself can have a really big impact on people's well-being it almost kind of reminds me you know when you're a teenager and you have your heart broken for the first time and you just sit around and listen to like love songs you know songs about heartbreak and everything and you think you would want to listen to something cheerful but actually you want to listen to someone else's suffering because it makes you feel less alone and I think that is the thing that underpins human suffering is that we feel so alone in it and the yeah. power of art and cu- cultural collections to make people feel less alone, to make them feel more connected is so immense and it's so effective. Uh, and I hope that museums and galleries, you know, realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And what a wonderful positive 
project and story to come out of lockdown as well amid so much anguish and so much that was going on in the world to have some sort of positive experiences yeah. must have been really wonderful well thank you for sharing about that I loved loved hearing about that project um I'd like to move on if we can to talk a little bit about the mindful museum so can you tell us a little bit about what is the mindful museum and a little bit about your specialism which is I know trauma sensitive mindfulness Yes, the Mindful Museum was a campaign, really, that I started in Manchester, um, I think about seven years ago, roughly about that time. And it was really came about as a result of all the mindfulness-based learning and engagement work that we were doing at Manchester Art Gallery. And we, you know, we discovered that using mindfulness as a technique to engage with artworks not only had really positive effects on people's well-being, but also was this really interesting way to engage with an artwork that we hadn't done before. So with the Mindful Museum was about raising the awareness of mindfulness practice in cultural institutions and maybe setting about some good, good practice guidelines. Um, we wanted other museums and galleries to um, to consider it as a, as a practice to use in their collections. And uh, we wanted to share our learning and our knowledge and experience around it as well. And we've seen um, mindfulness, uh, which is brilliant. Mindfulness has become a, a so much more commonly used practice in cultural institutions, certainly in the UK. And uh, that's a wonderful wonderful thing to see. So the Mindful Museum was, was just this, you know, kind of ambition of mine or a campaign to, to um, share the learning that we gathered at the Art Gallery and to support other museums and galleries to maybe consider, consider doing it themselves. My training is in trauma-sensitive mindfulness. And I, as a mindfulness teacher, thought it was really important to be trained in trauma-sensitive mindfulness because the more I researched mindfulness and the more I read about it, I discovered that some forms of mindfulness or I should say some forms of teaching mindfulness can actually um, lead to triggering um, some people and in some cases re-traumatizing them um, uh, if they have experienced trauma in the past. And of course, mm -hmm. if you're delivering a workshop in a museum or gallery that's about mindfulness, you don't know who in that audience has trauma in their background or in their past. Exactly. So you, we kind of, as a trauma-sensitive mindfulness teacher, we start from the position that someone in the room has experienced trauma. So you start from, that's your default position. And then you would teach the practice in a way that um, allows people to have informed consent so they know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, how long it will last and are they okay with that. Another uh, principle of trauma-sensitive mindfulness is this idea around choice and control. So it's really important to always give people an alternative or a choice of, you know, do you want to focus on your breath? If that feels a bit uncomfortable, just keep looking at the painting. Or if looking at the painting feels difficult or challenging, you know, 
you can get up and leave. That's okay. You know, if you want, if you need a break from the session, just go. So this idea around choice and control is really, really important with trauma-sensitive mindfulness. And another key aspect is about making practices, making mindfulness practices sensory-based. And this is where art and museums and galleries come really come into their own, Claire, because we're all about sensory-based activities. A lot of mindfulness practice focuses on the breath and physical sensations in the body. So a lot of kind of traditionally taught mindfulness courses will do a lot of breath work and a lot of um, physical, you know, body work. And we know now that trauma is stored in the body. We know that from, from years and years of research and studies and that actually bringing our attention into towards our breathing can be really problematic for some people who are anxious or have experienced panic. So bringing people's attention to a sensory experience is a much more safer way to teach mindfulness. And of course, you walk into a museum or gallery or cultural institution, they're just a feast for the senses. So we are brilliantly placed as institutions to teach mindfulness in a trauma-sensitive way because we've got so much material that is sensory-based. You know, you can you can learn mindfulness by looking at um, a pebble or a raisin, but why not learn it by looking at a work of art? You know, how amazing is that? How what a what a privilege and a you know what a treat it is. So. Yeah, trauma-sensitive mindfulness is something I'm very passionate about. And I think as it grows within cultural institutions, we have a responsibility to, to have an understanding of that and to teach it in a way that is safe and won't, you know, cause any harm to our to our participants. Yeah, I, thank you for explaining that. And I, I really love the ideas behind um, what you've just explained, the idea of choice and control. And mm. it, it really resonated with me because I talk, um, I teach in one of my courses, um, we teach all about facilitating discussions around sensitive subjects or difficult mm. histories. And we always talk about setting the expectations and the guidelines so that everyone, you know, feels safe and that you're creating this warm, inviting atmosphere and also giving people the chance to opt out as well mm -hmm. it's so important you know giving people the chance to to not participate if something is perhaps emotional for them or triggering um and Absolutely. sometimes you know we're, we're quite often asking for people to make personal connections to artworks and as you say we have no idea what experiences that person is bringing with them to the session. So we have to be very mindful, mm -hmm. to adopt a term, of <laughs> how we approach that and how we work with individuals on that basis. Absolutely, Claire. And those, you know, those key those key aspects about choice and control are so fundamental. You know, you can't go very far wrong if everybody in your group or in that session really believes that they have that choice and control like they are in control that is so important for people who have experienced trauma because very often the the loss of control is uh, an aspect of trauma so we've got to make sure that people feel empowered to make those choices in a session and sometimes that means I repeat myself 10 20 times you know I repeat that that I repeat myself saying 
if you want to go, that's fine. You don't have to do this. Or if that feels uncomfortable, just stop. You know, sometimes it takes me kind of repeating it over and over again um, for people to truly believe it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So important. Yeah, definitely. And so we've sort of looked at um, some of the work that you do. And we've looked at what a mindful museum is. And we've looked at um, mindfulness and the particular type of mindfulness that you work with. So what are the benefits of sort of practicing these activities with art and objects in museums? We saw it with the Becoming a Mum art therapy group. You had some great examples of you know how they felt and what the outcomes were but sort of in a general generally mm-hmm. speaking what are the benefits how can we use art and objects to support people to learn well-being skills and improve their mental health well that's a great question i think i mean the key the key aspect here for me is that we have all this material in our collections that if we can, you know, if we use them in the right way and engage with them in the right way, has full potential to teach people well-being skills. And, you know, I mentioned earlier about that feeling of connection. Connection and how connected you feel is fundamental um, to your well-being. And I think after the year that we've just had, you know, we've all experienced that social isolation. We we realise that now, don't we? Like we are pack animals and we are we are meant to be in a herd. We, we don't want to be in caves alone. And I think museums and galleries and art um, ha- can create conditions for social connection to occur. Learning mindfulness is a well-being skill. It's a wonderful lifelong and life-wide skill, you know, and I think if we can support people to learn these skills, um, there's other skills as well. You know, there's that cultivating gratitude is a well-being skill, reminding people of being active, learn, just learning at any age is so good for a well-being Um and you know giving as well giving being kind and giving our time our attention our our love in museums and galleries is so good for our well-being as well so i think cultural institutions museums and galleries are just oh like the breeding ground for good mental health in my opinion although i would say that wouldn't i um but i think <laughs> yeah so much potential around that being connected to art makes us feel connected to other people, to ourselves and to the world around us. And that is that is that's fundamental for our sense of well-being. And there's there's lots and lots of connections between mindfulness and slow looking, as mm. I've kind of explored over the past year. And I was sort of reading a lot about the art of noticing and and I think bringing in those sort of skills for for people to be able to notice the world around them more to be able to observe and and communicate better because you know they've noticed more details all those sorts of things I think we can get from these um, amazing mindfulness experiences definitely and you know what we, what happens in one of our sessions is we people come in they sit in front of a, an artwork it might be a painting or a sculpture and i talk a little bit about what mindfulness is and why it's good for our mental health and then we do a, a mindful looking practice and that's where i guide people in looking at certain aspects in the artwork so we'll pay particular attention to things like color line shape texture 
composition, all those formal elements within the artwork and training their attention to look in this way, in this, you know, slow, intentionally slowing ourselves down, being in the moment, looking, using our senses, being curious, all those, all those skills will translate when they leave the gallery. When they leave the gallery, they'll still have that, that training those skills and I always make a point of saying you know it's a wonderful thing to sit here and do this with a really interesting object like an artwork but why do this on the bus or do this on the tube or you know next time you're in a supermarket queue and you've got you've got nowhere to go you're in a waiting room you know do this take notice of what you can see details in architecture reflections and puddles whatever it might be train your attention to look and to notice and if you do this often enough you know kind of little pockets of pause throughout the day it will have such a significant impact on your health and well-being so we in museums and galleries we have the power and we have the ability to teach people a skill like mindfulness but really it's about them cultivating that in their everyday life as well yeah, and developing a sort of daily habit of looking up and noticing and and seeing everything that's around us. Yes, I completely agree. Um, I'm so excited because you're coming to do a class for yes. the membership, the Visible Thinking <laughs> membership on the 26th of October. Um, mm-hmm. This will also be open to non-members if people are interested, but I'd love you to tell us a little bit about what you'll be doing in this class. I would love that. And also, I'm so excited myself. So, um, yeah, countdown to the 26th. In the masterclass, Claire, I'm going to talk a bit more in detail about the principles of trauma-sensitive mindfulness and why museums and galleries are the perfect places to practice this form of mindfulness. So hopefully people will go away with a really good understanding about mindfulness itself, but also what makes trauma-sensitive mindfulness different from other traditionally taught forms of mindfulness. And what is the connection between the trauma-sensitive mindfulness and museum collections and and gallery collections as well? And why why are we so well-placed to teach this um, this type of mindfulness. Also, I'll be doing so and some examples, so some demonstrations of the the sessions that I deliver for different museums and galleries. And I'd also just love to get because um, I know that you've got a, a far-reaching membership. I'd love to understand what other people um, experiences of mindfulness or, or their understanding of it as well so I'm really looking forward to having that sort of interactive conversation as well hopefully it's not just me um, talking at people for, for it a definitely long time. won't be I can oh, assure good. you <laughs> <laughs> wonderful yeah uh, so, it's a very I, very yeah. curious uh, group of international educators I'm gonna call everyone educators but within that group we have mindfulness specialists we have people who work in the art therapy sort of area we have people who work as museum guides people who um you know work as museum educators part of a team all sorts of people and from all over the world as well so they'll each bring their own perspective um to the session which is always really fascinating as well oh I can't wait I can't wait it's going to be so good I love to you know sometimes I talk about this subject in this sort of very general broad way so I really love meeting other museum gallery peers and you know 
really getting into it, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, we will for sure. Uh, thank okay. you for sharing about that. I will put a link in the show notes for everyone listening so that they can go and have a look and find out more about the class. It's 26th of October at uh, 5pm. That's Amsterdam time. Um, you can find out what time zone it is in for you, but there'll also be a recording if you can't attend live. Now, Louise, thank you so much for this conversation today, but how can listeners find out more about you or reach out to you? Well, I am on Instagram as uh, Louise Thompson. My handle is at well underscore mindful underscore. And I have a website which is wellmindful.com. So you can reach me uh, on social media or through my website. Brilliant. And um, I highly recommend people follow you on Instagram. Um, You have a great account and um, I look at it every day. So uh, do follow Louise there and look at Louise's website and I'll put links in the show notes as well. And that just leaves me um, the time just to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your wisdom. Um, You've shared so much gold here. It's been absolutely brilliant. And thanks again. Thank you, Claire. I've had a lovely time. Thanks so much. So many thanks to Louise Thompson for being on the podcast today. I hope our chat has inspired you to find out more about trauma-sensitive mindfulness and how you can use art and objects to support people to learn well-being skills and improve mental health as well. Louise will be teaching a masterclass for Thinking Museum on the 26th of October. She'll be talking about the Mindful Museum and all of the principles of trauma-sensitive mindfulness. She'll also be exploring why museums and galleries are the perfect places to practice this form of mindfulness. We'll experience a variety of short mindfulness practices using a painting. So do come and join us for this masterclass. It's going to be very special. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you want to find out more about Louise's work, go find her on Instagram and visit her website. I'll put all the relevant links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe or follow The Art Engager and do give us a rating and a review. Come and say hello to me on Instagram. You can find me there most days, hanging around, search for at Thinking Museum. And I'll see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to The Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.